Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right, how's everybody doing this morning? Um, we're going to start a new series today on the book of Romans, and I'm probably going to split that into three different series, um, but we're going to start the first one today, probably do the first third of the book of Romans over this first series. Uh, if you want to go and turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, um, 1,500 years ago, something happened that basically changed all of history. We, I don't know what America, I assume it would have been discovered anyway, even if uh, Christopher Columbus hadn't discovered it, but the, the foundations of America would have been wildly different than the country that we live in. And in the time in the 1500s, the church and the state were intertwined, the church and the state of government. And it had gotten to a place in 1500 to where the Bible was almost non-existent in the church. They talked about Jesus or whatever. But when they would go to um, a seminary, if you went to a seminary to learn how to be a pastor or a teacher, you probably wouldn't actually study the Bible, which I know sounds bizarre, but that's the truth. They would study Aristotle or, or other Greek philosophers, and they would study um, works that had been, been written about the Bible, but they rarely ever read the Bible. And a few, oh, three or four hundred years before that, about um, a thousand years after Jesus had ascended into heaven and the church had been around for a thousand years, the church began to take on authority um, that it did not have. Like I said, there was only one church um, that was recognized in Western civilization. It was the Roman church, which now we would call uh, Catholics. And they had determined that the Pope, somehow or another, was whatever he spoke was without error, that it was had the same authority as Scripture, and that actually the Bible was true because the church sanctioned the Bible, not the other way around. And so things had gotten... Um, really out of hand. And so they began this thing they were called indulgences. The church needed to raise money to, to build um, St. Peter's Basilica. And so what they did was um, they sold indulgences to people. And so you would go around like there would be a guy who would come to our church if we were part of that church, and he would come in and he would say, hey, the, the Pope has declared this, that if you'll donate $1,000 um, all your sins will be forgiven. See, at that time, you know, your sins were just forgiven basically to your next um, confession when you'd have to do something else. And also, if you had someone that died, um, they had said, you know, people would be in purgatory, that you would get them out of purgatory, and if you paid enough money, they would go straight to heaven. And so that became the accepted practice for raising money. And there was this one guy who nobody had ever heard of <clears throat> who lived in a monastery. He'd become a monk because he'd struggled his whole life with being right with God. And he did whatever anybody, whatever the church told him to do, he did it. And so he became a monk dedicated to serving God. He would get up every morning at six o'clock in the morning. He'd be up and going, and he would basically do these prayers. He would pray through certain things for four or five hours a day, trying to be right with God. And he was always struggling with this this idea that he just was a little bit short, that he never could, could quite do enough to be right with God. And so he decided on this, during this time at some point, that he was going to actually study the Bible. 
And so he started out in Rome, in Romans, and there was this verse in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, it's one of the ones we're going to look at today, that got a hold of him like nothing ever had. And it changed everything for him. And so he came out and began to speak against these indulgences that were being sold because it was distorting what the Bible taught about salvation. And he came out with what now today I would hope would seem to us to be a fairly normal thing that the Bible has authority over the church, not the other way around. But that was a big deal at the time. And there was a lot of resistance to that. And there was talk of burning him at the stake. And so what he had done was he had written this document. It was called the 95 Thesis because there were 95 points that he said the church had aired and needed to be reformed and brought back to the truth of God's word. And so the man's name was Martin Luther. This began the Reformation, and it really began in his personal salvation experience and his understanding about salvation in Romans chapter 1. And so all the books of the Bible are worth studying, no doubt. The book of Romans, we probably get more of our doctrine about the church, about God's righteousness, maybe than any other single book. And so we're going to study through the book of Romans. It's, it's one of the most significant books. Um, it has probably more doctrine in it and also more practical application. But we're going to talk today about the foundations of the church and about the foundations of what we believe. And so Martin Luther was a man who was taken by the book of Romans. And so let's go back and see what is it that drove Paul. And we're going to find that in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. So if you'd please stand with me and honor the reading of God's word, we're going to begin in Romans 1, verse 1. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family, and he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, the thing that Paul outlines here is that his life is built around a purpose. And that's what happened with Martin Luther, is once, once they understood and God got a hold of them and they grabbed onto God's word, it changed the purpose of their life. It changed the direction of their life. And both of these men, God used them to change the course of history. And so here's the thing about it. One of the things that you'll see people today, and we teach our young people, and, and, and I understand that, is we, we teach them, unfortunately, that their greatest purpose, their greatest need in life is to understand what they're going to do, what their career is going to be, what they're going to pursue. But really, we need to teach them that their greatest desire in life should be to discover their purpose in life. Because a lot of times, your purpose is related to your living, but a lot of times, but, but if you don't know what your purpose is, oftentimes your, your means of making a living or what you choose to do is empty without it. You know, I, I read of a true story of a man who 
um, his friend came to him. He was a teacher of literature at a college, and he told him that, that he felt like God was leading him to take a new job, and he was going to, to leave being a teacher at this college to become a mailman. And uh, his friends were like, what, what are you doing? And he said, I, I just feel like this is what I need to do. And so after a few mo- months, his guy, the guy said, man, he said, look, if you're going to, if this is what God's leading you to do, then be the best mailman in the world. And he said, but I, I'm a terrible mailman. And he said, why? He said, man, I, I'm, I'm, I end up delivering to people's houses different times every day. I get, I'm the last one back to the post office. I can't sleep at night. I'm exhausted. And he said, well, what's going on? He said, well, he said, there's all these people on my route that have no one to talk to. And so I spend every day, I go from one house and they bring me in and I drink a cup of coffee with them. He said, by the end of the day, I've drunk 12 cups of coffee and I can't sleep. And his friend realized and recognized that this is what a life looks like that's been set alive by finding its purpose. See, his purpose was not to deliver the mail. That was his job. But his purpose was to minister to the people that he came in contact with along the way. And so there's a difference between what our job is and what our purpose is. And we teach our kids to figure out what their job is when we need to focus on, on for them, what is your purpose going to be? And once they figure that out, that is to glorify God and to spread the good news of the gospel, then it changes the way they look at every job from there on after. And so here's the next part, okay? We've got this life of purpose. What is the purpose built around? And here's Romans 1, 16 and 17. And the second verse that I'm gonna read you is the one that, that changed Martin Luther's life and through him changed the course of history. It says, for I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile, This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Now, here's the thing. I believe we are in the same kind of historical period as they were in 1500s with Martin Luther, is that we have a church now that has drifted away. And there's two ways that the church can drift. But the central theme is about the gospel. It's about how someone is saved, how someone is made right with God. And there's two different ways where churches drift. Number one is they add something to it. Is they say, well, it's, it's by faith, but you got to do this too. You, you know, you can't be you have to be baptized to be saved. You got to be baptized the right way or you have to have faith plus this. If it's faith plus anything else, it's not the right doctrine of salvation. And so that's one of the main areas where we see churches are drifting away from the gospel. As a matter of fact, there was an article just this week about um, a, a priest, part of the Catholic church in Phoenix. And he'd been there for 20, 30 years and had baptized Thousands of people. Now, the Catholics believe that you baptize people when they're babies or whatever, and they sprinkle on them, and they say words over them. And so what the, what the church had determined was that even though he'd baptized thousands of people, was that he had done it wrong. He'd said, he'd said the wrong liturgy over the baptism. So now all those thousands of people 
who followed and did what the church told them to do to be saved, they're saying they're not saved now. And not only are they not saved, but if they got married, any of those people got married, you know, in the Catholic church, you got to be a Catholic to marry another Catholic. So now their marriages were messed up because their marriages were not sanctioned by the church anymore because one of them wasn't Catholic because they weren't saved because the priest messed up the baptism. So here's how he messed up the baptism. And this was on Fox News. It wasn't some, you know, well, whether you believe them or not anyway, I don't know. But here's the, here's the deal. The issue was this. is when he baptized people, he used the words, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The correct phrase, according to Catholic polity, is, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, can you imagine getting to heaven and you stand before God? Do you really think God's going to say, well, I'm sorry, but when you got baptized as a baby, which you didn't even know was happening, the priest said, we instead of I, so off to hell with you. I mean, that's ludicrous. But here's the deal. It's also the worst part of it is it's not scriptural. Nowhere in here does it say you got to be baptized saying the right words or you're not saved. You have to be, it's through faith plus getting baptized and it better say the right things or you're not saved. It doesn't say that anywhere in the word of God. I'm not trying to pick on the Catholic church. That, that story just kind of popped up to me this week. There are other churches. If they tell you you got to be baptized, or you got to do this, if it's anything, if it's grace through faith plus anything else, grace is a gift from God, it comes through faith when we believe what Jesus did for us. I want to read that phrase to you in that last part of Romans 1.17. This is accomplished from start to finish. By what? Faith. It's accomplished from start to finish by faith. Not faith plus something else. You have to believe, but if you, it, believing plus something else is not scriptural. Now, I, do I agree? I believe it's important to be baptized. I mean, we got it in our church name. We think it's so important. Being baptized is important. Jesus was baptized an example for us. And I believe that's part, that's one of the key first steps in following Jesus is being baptized. But that ain't getting you saved. And I can promise you right now, I don't know how many I've baptized. John's baptized a bunch. A lot of our staff have. And I guarantee you, we've messed up the words. If everybody we messed up in the words is going to hell, man, we're in some trouble. Because we're human. But here's the deal. I'm not worried about that. Because you know what it says in Romans 10, 9 and 10? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, you will be saved. And there ain't no unless there unless your preacher messes up the baptismal words. I mean, can you imagine, the difference from saying we to I, the church is saying now that they're not saved. That just, that floors me. But there's plenty of churches that say that. Now, the other side of that, and we're going to get to that now, there are other issues in churches today that are beyond the salvation. Maybe they get salvation right, or they don't talk about it or whatever. Acts 4.12 says there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So here's the deal. You'll hear people say, well, aren't these good people? And Romans gets into that a little bit more. What about them? They're good people. Good, if being a good person got you to heaven, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. 
But listen to me, there, it doesn't matter whether you're Muslim, Buddhist, or whatever. If you're, if you're being saved under any other name, you're not saved. Because there's only one way to heaven. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. He's the only way. And how selfish would we be to tell God, hey, you know, I know you sent your only son to die on the cross and to suffer for me, but I'd really have, rather have a different way to heaven. I want to do it this way. Is that okay with you? How selfish is that? God sent his only son. People say, well, I can't believe that God would send people. I can't believe that people would reject God sacrificing his only son so that you could be right with him. So that's not good enough for you? That doesn't show love enough? You just say, nah. I want a different way. There's only one way to heaven, and it's through Jesus. Now, here's the second way that it happens. The second way that it happens is there, there's, there's drifting away from the true gospel. Matter of fact, there are churches that just don't even preach it. You know, you could go to, there's, I don't know how many thousands of churches there are between us and the other side of Dallas. But you could probably go and find that 90 plus percent of them would not actually share the gospel during the service. Now, I, I, that's not scientific. I may be off, but I don't think I'm off by much. I talk to guys that travel around. I know how preachers, when they talk, I know there are a lot of them that just don't even present the gospel anymore. To me, that's an issue. So they've not only drifted towards salvation plus something else, they just kind of drifted away from talking about it all together. Well, we don't want to offend people. Well, you know, it's blah, 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 blah. You've got to preach the gospel. You know, if, if you find a church, you move, you decide this was not the right place for you, and hey, I'll be the first one to tell you, our church is not the, 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 the place for everybody. We're going through Romans. Paul's pretty cut and dried. I'm kind of the same way, all right? If that's a problem, I'm sorry. I don't mean for it to be, but that's, that is, it is what it is, all right? So, but you go somewhere where they won't preach the gospel, Go somewhere else. Sorry, I'm getting a little fired up. <clears throat> I'm even going to get a little Mountain Dew here, see if I can calm down. You know, I'm not really apologizing for being fired up. Here's the deal. The reason why the gospel is so important is the power of God at work. It's the power of salvation. Without the gospel, there's no salvation. It matters. Here's the second part. Number one, you have people that have just gotten away from it. They add something to it. They're not preaching the gospel or they're preaching it wrong. Now you got another side. Here's another place where the church is falling away. It says in Romans 1, 18 through 23, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God, for he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. See, this is the second part. See, some churches, you know what? They just don't preach the gospel. Or they add something to it. Or they distort it. And then there's other churches that, that basically tell you there's no need for the gospel at all. And the way they do that is by trying to excuse sin. 
well, you know, this isn't really a sin anymore. This is, this is not that big a deal. You know, back in the 1700s, there was a guy named John Wesley, and he went into a meeting, a religious meeting in London, and he was struggling with salvation himself. And he went in there, and they started reading from and studying Romans using Martin Luther's commentary on Romans, the guy I talked about earlier. And while he was in there, he got radically saved. And he went out and started preaching the gospel. And that was the heartbeat of what he, what he did. He began a church movement that their heartbeat was to preach the gospel. They, they had a name for him. It swept all across Britain, and then it even came across big parts of the United States. They called them Methodists. And here's the deal. I love, I love Methodists. I love some of them. But they've gotten away from preaching the gospel of Jesus. They've, they've slipped from that. Now, in the early years of our country, they were a big reason why there were great awakenings in this country was because of Methodist churches and Methodist preachers. And now you won't hardly find a Methodist church that will preach the gospel anymore. Now, I'm not, I, I'm not trying to, be, to pick on certain things. I'm just, that's just the, the reality of it. And their whole deal now is open hearts and open minds. Whatever you are, come on in. You can be whatever you want to be. It's no big deal. We're going to love you just how you are. But that's not love. You see, what that is doing is creating an idea in your mind of what you've decided you want God to be. That's not the God of the Bible. God never changes. The God of a 1,000 years ago and 10,000 years ago is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, he was perfect then. He's perfect now. He was holy then. He's holy now. And so when the Word of God says something is a sin, you don't get so, well, you know, we just... That we're we're a lot smarter now, cause we're you know not we're we're it's it's a long time. I mean we got all we got smartphones. We're obviously smarter. We're, our phones are smart. I mean come on. And so here's what's happened is that people get an, an idea and an image of what they want God to be instead of receiving and understanding who God really is. Now here's the deal. There's things in this Bible that make me very uncomfortable. There's things I read and I go, wow, wow. I don't understand all that, but here's what I do know. If God's holy, then that, then that was right. And I, you see, that's the deal is you've got to, you got to put aside, well, I don't like that. But that's who God is. And I'm going to yield to that because he's God. But what happens is people decide that they want to make God into their, own, into their own image, what they want God to be. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. Now, let me tell you what that is, and we're going to get to it. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. You see, when you start to, to get away from worshiping the God that's revealed himself to us through the Bible and through the person of Jesus Christ, then you're not worshiping God anymore. You're worshiping an idol that you've made up in your mind. And there are tons of churches that are worshiping idols on this Sunday morning. They're not worshiping the God of the Bible. They've, they've stricken the parts of the Bible they didn't like. Well, that's, you know, that's just old. That's for the old times. That's not for us. 
This is for now. And so we're enlightened. I mean, God was just wrong when he put those out. But now this is what God really is. God just loves everybody. He doesn't care about sin. In other words, what you're saying is, I guess he just made a mistake sending his son to die on the cross for those sins if they weren't really sins. And what they've done is they've created an idol. They're worshiping the God of their minds, not the God of the Bible, not the God who, who lives, the God who sent his son to save, who, to die for them. And here's the problem with idolatry. From idolatry, that's where it begins. Some of those denominations that were instrumental in spreading the gospel in the early days of our country, and in, and in Britain, some of those that were, that were instrumental in, in uh, sharing the gospel. It starts with just a little thing. Well, you know, I mean, does that really apply? I mean, it, it can start as simple as this. The Bible says when it talks about pastor, be the husband of one wife. If you're going to be a pastor, now, I, I believe it's talking about senior pastors, okay? We call people, they're, they're under shepherds and they have other staff positions, but a senior pastor is to be a man. Because why do I think that's true? Is it because men are better? No, Bible's clear they're not. But that's what the scripture says. If you can show me how you can be a husband of one wife without violating another tenet of scripture, then without being a man, then we'll talk about it. But that's what the Bible says, to be a husband of one wife. And so what you've had is not, well, you know, I mean, come on, that's old-fashioned. That's, that's just how it was. That's because of the way it was back then. And so they've decided that that's not really all that important now. But here's the deal. Once you've decided one thing's not important, why is the next thing? Once you've decided one thing the Word of God says isn't true, then it's all up for discussion, and it's all up for argument. Now, I'm not talking about imposing legalism on people. I'm talking about when you read the Word of God, it is what it is, and it says what it says, period. Do I understand it? No. Do I get the reasons behind all of it? No. I don't have to. You see, Martin Luther said something. The, the Bible in the hands of a simple man is more powerful than all kinds of Christian councils and denominations that aren't standing by it. And that's the truth. So here's the deal. From idolatry to immorality is a short step. Starts out with just compromising on a couple little things that really didn't seem that big, be that big a deal. Because why can't they do that? Why shouldn't they be able to? And so we compromise on that. And then guess what? The next thing comes up. And then you get to a point, well, you know what? We love these people. Those are good people. Why should we say that they can't, you know, come and openly practice in our church, even though they're, they're living in a lifestyle that's contrary to the Scripture? What's the big deal with that? Well, now you're getting down. Now you're not a worship because you're not worshiping the God of the Bible anymore. You're worshiping what you want God to be instead of who he really is. And so here's what it says. After that, they began worshiping idols. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their 
shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sex relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Now, I want to make something clear to you that Paul kind of, he, he's talking about, when he's talking about they, get, they did degrading things with their body, it's pretty clear here he's not in that particular instance referring to homosexuality. Now, homosexuality is a sin. It's a sin in the Scripture. It doesn't mean God hates homosexuals. He doesn't. None of us should. We ought to love them. But he's given that as an extreme, even the women. That was after he talked about that they, he had abandoned them to their shameful desires. Let me tell you what else falls in that. Sex outside of marriage. Any sex outside of marriage is shameful. And it's a sin against God. And any church that tries to tell you that's fine is not preaching the Bible. And they don't love you. Because here's the deal. You know, I've been trying in my mind to figure out what's worse. Sending people to hell by telling them that their sin's not sin? Or sending people to hell by telling them that if they'll just do certain things, even without faith, that they'll be saved? Which is worse? I have no idea. But I know all of them are going to be held account to God. And let me tell you something. We need another reformation right now. Because the church is sick. If you look at the church as a whole, it's sick. We've had, quote, pastors standing up saying they support abortion. That's outrageous. That's not scriptural. And that's contrary to the word and the ways of God. Idolatry to immorality is a short step. And it's tempting for all of us. Because we want to think of God the way we want him to be. But God is not here to adjust to your opinions or my opinions or your likes or my likes. He is God. And it's our job to worship him and to follow him, whether we like it, whether we agree with it, whether we want to do it or not, period. So here's the deal. After he goes through all those things, it leads to sin. And then sin leads to what? Romans 28, 128. So they thought it foolish to acknowledge God. He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Now, if I were to, to just throw a blanket over our time and age, it would be the time of sin and foolish thinking. That's what we live in. Do you know our own government, the CDC, Lord have mercy. You know, because all these children are behind in their speech, because people have been making them wear masks to school, do you know what they did? Instead of saying, hey, here's, here's where they've fallen behind, we got to help them catch up. When it comes to speech and early childhood development, which I'm not an expert, my wife's got a degree in that, and she was talking to me about it this morning. Here's the deal. You know what they did instead of saying, what the, where they used to say that you ought to have be able to speak, you know, 80 words by the time you're, you know, you're a year and a half or two years old. I mean, that's maybe a little more for girls, a little less for boys. Now that now they've changed it. And they're saying a, a, a two-year-old child should be able to speak about 15 words so that nobody will feel bad about themselves. I mean, that's outrageous. That's foolishness. And yet it's foolish thinking. You know, I don't believe there's this 
man, I don't know what that was. What was that? <laughs> Somebody's knocking. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm not a big believer in that there's this big government conspiracy to, to destroy the world. You know what I believe? People have rejected the truth of God, and as a result, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. That's the age we're living in. Their lives became full. All right, now, you know, there's sometimes there's neighborhoods you don't want to drive through. You know what I'm talking about? I don't like driving through Dallas. Anybody else? I mean, man, it's, it's, a, it's a mess. If I can figure out a way to drive around Dallas, I'll drive around it. And if I could drive around this next passage of Scripture, I'd drive around it if I could. But we don't do that. We're going to drive right through the middle of it. So I'm fitting Now, some of y'all are like, well, you know, okay, as long as we're just talking about those sins, I'm good with it. We're going to talk about some more now. Paul's going to line them out there. Here's what happens. He says, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. So now if one of those didn't get you, I'll read them to you again. Because all of us are guilty of something. Have you never been envious? You never hated? Never been greedy? Never quarreled with somebody? Hopefully none of y'all murdered anybody, but, you know, I don't know. Any, ever deceived anybody? Had malicious behavior? Have you gossiped? You ever backstabbed somebody? Been a hater of God, insolent, proud, or boastful? That gets us all at this point, doesn't it? So here's the deal. This, this is not an excuse, but this is what happens is that, that our world compounds those sins, and it becomes more and more the farther we get away from the truth of God's Word. And the more we reject that God is the one who determines what sin is and what it is not. It's not us. You see, once you reject God's Word, now everything's open for debate. And now we're in the middle of doing people doing things and doing them out in the open that we would have never imagined 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years ago. And that's not good. All that does is it leads to more deception. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. That's what happens when we, when we make all those other things okay is we become a people without mercy that are heartless and that break their promises. And I'm seeing that more and more. To me, that's the most disturbing trend I see now is people without mercy who are heartless. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them. And that's our society. That's where we're at. And unfortunately, that's where a lot of churches are at. You see, there, there are churches out there that not only will not tell you something's a sin, they'll try to encourage you in it. And that's not love. That's a lack of, of mercy, and it's heartless. If you know something is going to send somebody to hell unless they repent of it and turn to Christ 
and you tell them, hey, it's fine, I want to encourage you to do that, what you're telling them is, I don't care if you go to hell. That's not love. Now, understand something. Are, are there believers that fall in some of those areas? Absolutely. Absolutely. You see, righteousness comes by believing what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's in faith. It's not actions. But I would argue that, you know, here's, the, here's where it gets, you get caught up. It's not my job to say, well, that person's lost because they're doing that, or that person's lost because they got that sin. That's not my job. But as, as a believer, you see somebody that's continually walking in a certain path and trying to say it's not sin, I'm concerned about their salvation. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to talk to them about the gospel. Now, it's not my job to say whether they're saved or lost or not. I don't know. Had they come to faith in Christ at some point and they're just falling away, maybe for a period of time or whatever, I don't know the answer to that. But here's what I do know. If they're living a life that's in opposition to God's word, I'm going to approach them as though they're lost because I want them to be saved. I'm not going to tell them that's fine because that's heartless. I'm going to love them. It doesn't mean we just tell them, well, I'm done with you. I don't want anything else to do with you, blah, blah, blah. We should still love them. But we got to love people enough to tell them the truth. We have to love people enough to tell them the gospel. I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. You know, that may, this may have sounded dark and bleak, and, and, I, and I get that. I do believe that there are a lot of churches, a lot of denominations that have drifted away from the Word of God one way or the other. But here's the other thing that I believe. I believe that churches that continue to preach the word, that they're going to grow and grow and grow, and they're going to have greater influence, and they're going to have a greater reach for the gospel. The ones that hold fast to the word of God, and there are others. I think one of the reasons why God's blessing our church is because we hold fast to the word of God and we preach it in season and out of season, the whole counsel of God. Preach it all. And I believe that there are other churches in our town, in our county, and in our area that are doing the same thing. And we need to encourage those churches. And we need to pray for them. And we need to continue holding on to the Word of God here. You know, one other thing that I, that I want to say, and, and I, I don't have anything against listening to podcasts or reading authors or whatever, but here's the deal. Be careful not to become like the 15th century church that heard and read all kinds of things about God, but they never heard from God because they never read or studied the Word of God. It's fine to listen to a commentary or, or a podcast or whatever, but don't let that be a substitute for the actual Word of God. Okay? You want to know why people mess up? Hey, you, you, you doubt something I said? Go look it up in the Word. If I'm wrong, come tell me. If you find somewhere that I'm in error... Come tell me. And if I, if I see that you're right and I've said something wrong, if the Word of God proves it, I'll come in front of this whole church and apologize and tell you I was wrong. I'm not telling you to take my word for it. 
Be in the Word. Get in the Word of God. God wants to speak to you through it. He wants to teach you, and He wants to mold you, and He wants to make you into the image of His Son. There are, there are tough days ahead for believers, but guess what? Take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. There ain't nothing Satan going to throw at him. He's not ready for there's nothing he can't handle, and there's no, there's no believer he can't protect, that he can't empower and strengthen to get through whatever comes. Let's be determined to follow him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? You know, I've talked about the gospel, and now I want to give you an opportunity. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus through faith, I want to lead you through the things that are required. It's, it's really simple. Number one, you've got to admit that you're a sinner for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which is in Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And what that means is that when we sin, without Jesus, we're separated from God forever. And if your time here on this earth comes and you're not right with Jesus, then you go to hell because of your sins. But if you know Jesus, you have a relationship with him, God attributes it to you as righteousness. And you'll be in heaven with him. And if you don't have a personal relationship with him, you just got to admit that you're a sinner. Ask forgiveness. You got to believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins and that he rose on the third day, according to scripture. That's faith. And then Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you'd like to know that you have peace with God, that your sins are forgiven, and that your, t your place in heaven is secured, I want to lead you in just a brief prayer of salvation. So you can repeat this after me. You just pray it in your heart. You don't have to pray it out loud. Or you can pray it in your own words, but pray it with me right now. This is the most important decision that you will ever make in life is what you're going to do with Jesus. So pray it with me now. Dear God, thank you for loving me and thank you for Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart, my life, cleanse me. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he rose on the third day, according to scripture. So today, I trust Jesus as my savior and I confess him as my Lord. Now here's what I'm gonna ask you to do without anybody looking around. If you prayed that prayer today, you don't have to stand up. I'm not gonna ask you to say anything. But if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, I just want you to look up at me and keep looking until I see you. Okay. All right. Okay. See you. All right. Okay. Now, here's what I want you to know. If you prayed that prayer in faith and you believe those things I told you, you are saved right now. You've been adopted into God's family. No one can ever take that away from you. 
your sins you've all, that you've committed are all forgiven. The sins you're going to forgive, that you're going to commit are all forgiven. The thing now is we want to encourage you about taking the next steps and following him because God has a purpose for your life. He has a plan for you and he wants you to know what that is. And so we want to help you know and to take the next steps in following Jesus. And so here's what we're going to do. After the service, John's going to dismiss us in a word of prayer. He'll be, there'll be a staff member here at the front. And if you have any questions or you'd like to tell someone about your decision, just come tell them. And they'd love to either talk to you right now or set up a time to talk to you. If you can't do that, there's a number on the screen. You can just text, I did it to that number. And we'll get in touch with you and set up a time, whether it's on the phone or in person, to talk to you about your decision to follow Jesus and about the next steps to follow him. We're not going to ask anything from you. We're not going to put you on a mailing list. We're not going to bug you. Even if you don't come back to this church, you're welcome to. But even if you don't, that's fine. We'd still love to help you. That's what we do. And so I'd encourage you to tell someone. Right now, I want to pray for you that made that decision. And I want to pray for each of us that he would help us to constantly, through the Word of God, to flush out those things in our heart and our mind that are, that are not true. That we would see God for who he is. And that we would allow that to transform us instead of trying to transform him into a God that we're more comfortable with. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your love and your mercy. Father, I pray for those that made a decision today to follow you. I pray, God, that you would strengthen them, that you'd send other believers in their life to encourage them and give them the courage to take the next steps in following you. Father, I pray for each of us. Lord, help us to seek you for who you are. Lord, help us to stand strong for the gospel and for the word of God. Father, thank you that you loved us enough to send your only son to die on the cross for our sins. Praying we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.